scintillate. Derek, you come to a tortoise. You turn it upside down. <laughs> How do you feel? Why, 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 why am I in the desert? Why is there a tortoise? You're just there. How do you feel as you turn it upside down? Why don't, why don't I, why don't I pick, why don't I turn it over? You could. Pew, 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 pew. Oh, your mother. I was just going to ask questions. When, when are there unicorns? <laughs> there are also unicorns, yes. <laughs> I mean, what's the difference between a horse and a unicorn and a tortoise and a turtle? Who knows? But no. Hey everyone. This is a special off-kilter bonus episode of Come Ride With Me. Talk about other one of those movies that some people might say is not Takuzatsu, and to that we say it has some practical effects. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, doesn't every movie have... Well, no, I see, hang on. Let me walk that back. Yeah. Not anymore. Most don't, mm. but... I mean, that's a larger semantic conversation, but like... sure. We usually mean, oh, it's a a certain style of like Japanese like thing, but also just like RoboCop is pretty toku, you know. Blade mm-hmm. Runners got some fun stuff in it, but no, uh, it's definitely a genre is dumb. Let's have fun, right? Movie, but no. Um, with me is uh from the Undercast Company is Derek. Hey, Derek. Hey, thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. And then, of course, in a cyberpunk utopia, neon lights and a lot of stuff. Oh God. David, right? Just yeah. he's always going Aki Harbrook and yep. Isekai out of his mind, you know? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. If I have to see another neon Japan photo, it'll be too soon. Huh? Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> we are talking about uh, the 1982 and like just this is a classic movie this is like a start of like the way people think of the like cyberpunk genre like a lot of that comes from here like it was around before and it's around like outside of this but blade runner uh one of those good ass movies one of those important ass <laughs> movies what was our first exposures to blade runner though Dude, that's a good question i don't remember to be honest i think the first time I'd ever seen Blade Runner, which I think I'm lucky I saw it when I did because it, it definitely um, ch- not changed my opinion, but I was a little bit more intelligent to where had I seen this when I was like perhaps a teenager, I'd have been like, this movie's boring. Nothing happens. <laughs> People just talk. Where's the action? So I think I saw it in like maybe university. So I was a little bit more mm-hmm. cognizant of like, you know, it, it's not only its reputation, but just what kind of a film it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. What about you, Derek? Sorry. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. My, I actually remember uh, the first time I saw it because I, I, had, I didn't really know about it until uh, I started getting more into film, which was right around when they were doing that AFI top hundred list 
mm-hmm. like it was the 10th anniversary one that they did in 2007. So I would have been 17. Um, so, you know, in like kind of the end of high school, that would have been my last year of high school. And uh, I was really intrigued by like a lot of the films on the list. And I was like, I really got to check some of these out. And they were really smart in doing it this way because every commercial break, they would do the thing for uh, a commercial for the new edition, the definitive edition, a.k.a. what it's called the final cut <laughs> of the film was coming out there. Like, because, you know, infamously Blade Runner has like seven different cuts, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then they're like, OK, fine. This is this is the one you, everyone has to watch. The, this is the definitive version. And obviously, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Blade Runner was on that AFI Top 100 list. I forget where it ranked exactly, but it was on the list. So I was like, okay, cool. So this is like an important movie. It's got all this stuff that I'm really into, like all this sci-fi, cyberpunk type stuff. And it's obviously like listening to the people talking about it on that AFI special. I was like, okay, so that's where all this stuff came from. So I bought the DVD uh, Sight Unseen. I had not seen the movie. Uh, I... I so I didn't know had not seen any of the other cuts, so I just went straight into the final cut, and that's still the only cut of the uh, movie I've seen. But you know, I, I, uh, I'm really and I'm really glad because I, I know some of those other cuts. There's uh, some controversy around them. Mm, yeah, that's that's putting it lightly. I think. Yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think at this point, people are just like, you know, it's like, what flavor of ice cream do you like? <laughs> it's like this one's bad. This one's okay. I really like chocolate mint, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's the exact mm. type of thing where people are just like, some of this stuff is dumb. And I think part of that is just on, on Ridley Scott for, you know, not like he comes back to it. Like what feels like every five years. And it's like, well, actually this is the way I wanted to make <laughs> it 25 years. It's like, dude, stop. You're, you're yeah. George Lucas tier at this point. <laughs> I mean, I, I do. I will say for him, though, like and I, I get like tinkering between the director's cut and the final cut because they're not that different, really. But that original cut, like with the that ending they tacked on and like the horrible Harrison Ford. Yeah. voiceover oh, that he God. clearly does not want to read like that is rough. That is very rough. So but um, yeah, any any of the other yeah. versions are probably a lot better than that theatrical edition. Like in 1982. Nobody knew who Ridley Scott was really like. I guess like some people mm-hmm. did. Like, they had like like some success, but it was like kind of just like using a like Van Gogh painting as like a, a like coaster kind of thing. Like, oh yeah, like this isn't important mm. yet. Nobody cares. It right. has no like merit people know about yet. So yeah, yeah. Like he he made Alien, but I think yeah. that was his only. I mean, and like a couple things like that are important, but I think Alien was like his only commercial hit. Um, on a big scale, I would should say. And like, what a movie to come off of too, because like, <laughs> if if you're if the only movie you're known for is Alien, and then you put out something like Blade Runner, people are gonna be like, "What the fuck is this shit? <laughs> like, yeah. where's the aliens? Where's the killing? Like, where's the you mm-hmm. know? It's it is a complete like one eighty from that, right? Yeah, because Blade Runner is pretty, or Alien is pretty straightforward, and Blade Runner is just like this weird cerebral like. It's a meditation on like 40s detective, like Philip Marlowe stories, but it's set in the future. And yeah, it's it's very different than anything he'd done or anything really anyone had done to that point. That's a good point, though, because like that's kind of where I come into Blade Runner, because like I like like had heard of the movie as like, oh, 
it's like a good movie that you should see but also like i heard about it a little younger the first time like it was like some conversation was like oh and like blade runner like that's a great movie and like it was like this person was like a like cousin or something and they were like oh yeah like you should see blade runner james i have it on laserdisc and i was like blade runner laserdisc this is cool (laughs) as fuck what's this (laughs) but um i'd been big into like detective fiction and like around the same time like was like getting into like some more like cyberpunk like snow crash and like neuromancer like books that branched off too so i saw it when i was in high school and i was like oh wow like this is like really good but also i couldn't really like grok some of it like there's just like a certain way where you see a movie when you're like a certain age and you're just like oh that really hit my retinas i guess you know Hmm. no no absolutely like there's a lot to be said about seeing something at the right time Mm -hmm. and yeah um so when i think about blade runner though um what makes me think is that um oh it's like somebody took the live action super mario brothers movie and made a version for adults <laughs> right guys totally uh, that's exactly what i think uh, so um <laughs> stretch but all right sure yeah okay uh, let's let's follow this idea all the way through okay <laughs> thank you um for the masterful indulgence but uh just so when i saw that the um new mario movie where like it's like from the minions people and it's like oh wow this has a great cast mostly mostly (laughs) oh man charlie day (laughs) jack tell me how you really feel audience taylor joy even like i forget who's playing toe but it's like you're like man uh it's what's his name from uh keen peel keegan michael Michael keegan Keegan? yeah yeah right yeah Okay, yeah. So yeah. Um great cast. Um I would say maybe uh don't have Mario talk. Maybe just have somebody else just like be Mario, I don't know. Just hire Chris Martin a, like like why <laughs> why is he not the, the guy? He's fucking Mario. Like like did you really need to put Chris I'm sorry. Like why? Why like or I get even it. or even do like someone like Jared speaking of Ridley Scott do like somebody who was doing I mean I'm much as I hate him but like the Jared Leto in um uh what's it a House of Gucci voice where it's just like oh I'm an Italian mamma mia Lady Gaga we are we are the House of Gucci ah you know like something like that instead of just being like hello I'm Mario pepperoni pizza right I cook it a pizza you know something you know a little bit a little bit, you know, just don't have it too over the, but give it a little something, you know. You could just not talk, like, but like outside <laughs> of like some like noises, like let's go, just like have like the lines Charles Martinet. I think, I think if they had not gotten Charles Martinet, but like had Mario not speak, would have been funnier. Like just mm-hmm. them trying to figure out having him like he's about to say something in every situation and then just gets cut off and he only speaks like <laughs> once at the end of the movie and it's just him going wahoo and that's it just him going motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> um and like that's great because like what these movies love is like jokes for the parents in the kids movie and exactly. like have a joke where he's like trying to show like going in a warp pipe and it's like oh is he making the fuck fingers <laughs> exactly <laughs> something fun like that um no man um 
How excited though, David, are you uh, that um, Timothy Chalamet is playing Link? Wait, I wait. What? Huh? That's a fucking lie. That's you. That's, that's a lie. That's a lie. I was, that's, I, was, I, was like, I was like, honestly thinking like, oh man, because like that was the thing. I was like, I. That's why I was actually thinking of this when you guys were talking about Mario and Chris Pratt, and I was like. They're gonna. That's why I don't want to see because Mar Zelda's like my shit. Like that's my jam is Zelda, and I'm like, I'm like I don't know. I just don't. I, like who would they cast? And you said, and when you said as you said Timothy Timothy Chalamet, I was like, God damn it, they would cast somebody like just Timothy Chalamet or something or Tom Holland. Yeah, and like oh, that's the thing. God. Is like, like Link literally doesn't talk. Like Mario, I I get why you have him talk because he is a character who talks to people. Link is a non-vocal character. He just says ha ha and stuff, and that's it. Who's just, the other big Nintendo one? Samus. There's Samus, yeah. There's, uh, I mean, Donkey Kong's in Mario. He's kind of yeah. the other one. Who would he cast as Samus? It's like you have to show their face at least a little bit. I mean, okay, if they were making a Metroid movie, she would be out of that suit for like ninety percent of the time because they would just be like, "No, we can't put our main actor in a suit for ninety minutes." Why the fuck not? Yeah. Look at yeah, Mandalorian. No, just, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, Mandalorian, you know, or look at like, that's what that's what the difference is. Why the 2012 Judge Dredd is good. And the yes. 2000 and or the 90s, whatever version is so bad is because they're like, we got Stallone. We got to show his face in this one. They're like, no, no, no. Let's just let Carl Urban like he keeps the mask on the entire time. <laughs> put Carl Urban to, in a mask. Make, make him angry all the time. Yeah. He's perma scowling. What if he was Mario, actually? <laughs> Carl Urban, he could do it. I would, yeah, oh, I'd love that'd it. Be that'd be great. I mean, he's he's so good. They should have just had Mario be live action. <laughs> yeah, I'd watch it. But no, uh, <laughs> well, well, well. If it ain't the fucking Mushroom Kingdom, <laughs> ooh, they could have gotten like Danny DeVito. People would have loved. They could have gotten <laughs> Christopher Walken. They could have gotten Willem Dafoe. Oh God, William Dafoe. That would be a what a guy have you seen the live action death note uh david i have not but i've never i've never seen the animated and or manga version yeah. of death note so yeah same here the like main like demon guy in that is like played by william defoe and it's the like only outstanding part of the movie william defoe is good in everything like literally he's good in everything yeah he's kind of one of those um man i hope that they don't <laughs> Do you think? I hope they get Shadow the Hedgehog soon in those, those like Sonic movies, and I hope he's dope. <laughs> no, the, he he shows. Okay, well, spoiler for the post credit scene of Sonic Two, but he he shows up. There's no voice to him yet, but I would love to see. I saw some meme where it was just like, "Get John Bernthal, just like Sonic, Sonic, you know, just like something like that." John Bernthal as Shadow the Hedgehog would be pretty fucking I mean, funny, right? That'd be incredible. That'd be great. He's kind of like a little bit of like a modern S Sylvester Stallone in that way, where you're like want him like a little bit yeah. more. And then when they bring in like Silver the Hedgehog, damn, it's gonna be great. <laughs> oh no! Um, the point I started making though is that um, there's like some like DNA between uh, the uh, live action Mario movie and Blade Runner. My thought was okay. We should talk about that live action Mario movie. I was like, let's also take that as a reason to talk about Blade Runner because Blade Runner is dope. <laughs> Yeah. but uh and has some it's live action at times no it's completely it has a lot of good practical effects live action i was gonna say 
at times. Oh, I wish they'd made like a cool world like Blade Runner back in like 93, something like that. That would have been great. I mean, isn't that just like Johnny Mnemonic? Does Johnny Mnemonic have like a lot of like Who Framed Roger Rabbit shit in it? I don't know. No, but it's all rotoscoped and weird looking. What's that other one? Scanner Darkly. That's Maybe that's the movie I'm thinking movie. of. Yeah, Johnny Mnemonic is the one where Keanu Reeves and like the Cyber Dolphin and he, yeah. Cyber Dolphin. I have not seen that one. I, I know I like know about it and I know like Johnny or uh that uh Keanu was like coming out of the poster and like running at me with this like now I was oh, saying hang on, sorry. I was thinking of Scanner Darkly because Keanu's in okay. both movies. Yeah. No, Johnny Mnemonic is like um maybe it's not the one I'm thinking of uh where he's in a hospital bed, but it is a like another good movie that we should watch because it has like Dolph Lundgren in it too. That's a great movie. Um, but for now, um, let's talk about some Blade Runner. And first, cyberpunk. It's a genre. Uh, and I think much like steampunk, much like a lot of genres, definitely um, has just become kind of a motif for a lot of people. But cyberpunk can be very, very cool. I think at least more recently cyberpunk has been done a bit of a disservice because people don't understand yeah. the tropes of the genre and just like attach to very very specific things and then what you get is this very like not watered down but like th- there's like there's cyberpunk as a genre and then there's cyberpunk the thing that people think is cyberpunk mm-hmm. right it's it's very like it's a very narrow focus yeah um and like when that new when the cyberpunk game came out my thought was like what's punk about it i guess like it's just kind of like everything bad it's punk capitalism bad it's punk like a pink mohawk doesn't mean the same thing (laughs) in 2023 as in like 1983 you know no yeah, no, like genre genre is important and uh using, you know, the conventions of a genre uh is is an important thing for filmmakers to keep in mind and uh cyberpunk, you know, being a kind of subgenre of the overall like sci-fi thing does come with a lot of um thematic uh kind of motifs that get repeated a lot and then so I I don't I haven't played the cyberpunk game, but I know definitely a lot of stuff that is cyberpunk just treats it as like, oh, this is an aesthetic, and the underlying motifs that go along with this genre don't really matter about the kind of like, you know, that are really present in Blade Runner, for example, about just kind of like this rotting world. And I love how in this movie to kind of tie into that, yes. there is this is like the dregs, like. No, everyone on Earth, like, is not happy to be here. Like, we hear all about, like, traveling off-world, but we literally never see it. All we see is just the shitty people still trapped on Earth. It's the exact opposite of Avatar. Because Avatar, Avatar, um, the uh, 09 one, mm-hmm. uh, it's just like, oh, wow, there's this cool future, like, world. Like, you just go over here, there's this other planet, and it's so beautiful and amazing. And they actually shot like an opening where they're like, there's this shitty Earth, but James Cameron couldn't work it in. So you, as a result, you see basically none of Earth. This is all that. You don't get to see Pandora or like, you know, Elysium or any of the off-world just cool mm-hmm. colonies that they allude to. You just see the people that are just griming it out here. And this kind of, 
you know, there's the people who are oppressed, obviously, and then you have the people who are oppressing them, who are just kind of like one rung above them. And, uh, you know, that's Deckard. He's a Blade Runner, and which ties in all to, to the, like, is he actually a replicant too? Uh, so I find all that really interesting, and it does a lot to kind of establish uh, going forward what would be important in cyberpunk. And I think, like, a fundamental part of, like, a lot of sci-fi, like, in, like, cyberpunk is the idea that we are told just, like, that over time in, like, in the world, things will get better. And I think that, like, what cyberpunk is all about is very specific things for very specific people will get better. And it's like, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. you can have cool eyes or, like, a cool arm or, like, have cyber sex or whatever. But, like that's also going to be like this person is going to have access to like this special rebreather and going to need it. Like, like it's just like, Mm -hmm. Oh, (laughs) there are some people on the margins. And I love how like this movie, for example, has like the neon stuff, but it's also like way more, way more focused on like the old architecture from 40 years ago. That's like all dirty. That's been grafted onto, you know? Right. I think, I think that's like, because I played through uh, the cyberpunk game recently, and I think that's something that really sticks out to me between this movie and what kind of cyberpunk has become is that if you look at cyberpunk, the game, everything is built in a very like modern style. Like it's just like concrete jungle apartment type things. Whereas in Blade Runner, it's like, no, they, they just said, fuck that built over top of all that shit and everyone lives in like that gutter under city area because there's like horrible acid rain and shit. So all the people at the top are just like, ah, oh, we're fine, whatever. But then all the old buildings, like all the old city stuff is still there. And it's just, it's just like dark and industrial and fucking gross. Whereas like in the cyberpunk game, it's like, colorful and like nice and like yeah okay there's garbage on the ground but it's like okay whatever like that's not it doesn't it doesn't set the tone in the same way whereas in Blade Runner everything just looks dire you're like wow you go outside and it's like this sucks ass like I do not want to live here one of the very first shots is um going into like the police like precinct like you see above the chief's like like above his office is just like sand and like cigarettes and you're just like man that's <laughs> rough with this yep. place <laughs> this whoa uh yeah and like i think like it just becomes there's neon but none of the like contrast it's like oh there's like a big sign of like a pretty lady mm. and like oh that's it like the art all becomes like art for like usb 7.0 this time it some sex joke you know or like right like some like poop joke you know mm-hmm. and also a big part of cyberpunk to this day is um some uh weird it, it likes to have very strange fetishized thoughts about asian culture <laughs> uh, yep uh, yep i was gonna wonder if you guys were gonna bring it up <laughs> part of that is like weird oh are we going to be replaced or overcome by China, Japan weirdness of the eighties? Um, I mean, at the time, like logically that made sense because then the, like basically at that time in the eighties, right? Like everything was made in Japan. 
like fucking everything, your TV, your car, like literally everything. Right. So it's not hard to imagine that, you know, you follow the line trending upward to the right of like Japan's like soft power, hard power stuff where, yeah, like, you know, eventually they're just going to use mega corporations to take over everything. And, you know, eventually, like, they're just going to say, well, we don't need English anymore because we control everything. So now it's just going to be Japanese and you're going to have to like it. Yeah, and I think the thing that, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of bump on was like, oh, there's, you know, the, the all of the representation of like Japanese stuff all over the place. There's a lot of Japanese things in this, but there's no Japanese people. And that this is not an outlier in that at all. The only it's pretty much all white people. Um, the only Asian person at all who's like a is a character, I think, with any lines is um, James Hong, who, of course, is Chinese and and not Japanese. So I think that's that's kind of the thing. It's just like, oh, we love the culture of Japan, but we don't want to actually give them any representation. And, you know, I think that's become more and more. Uh, it became more and more prevalent over the next couple of decades. I think it's. Luckily, we're starting to see some pushback against that. Um, but yeah, that that's what I think one of the main criticisms. And also, I think a lot of modern cyberpunk, it's not really thinking about what is somebody seeing if they're traveling. Like, I think like a lot of this like way that things get exoticized is kind of like because, oh, also like a lot of Asian countries, like specifically like China and Japan, were undergoing massive development so of course everything seemed new and shiny or they were like only seeing the parts that were let's get as much money as we can from the tourists and also we are completely rebuilt so it's like oh we have a ton of cool neon signs and stuff here because we know that like we had to rebuild this all in the past 15 years and we knew there was going to be a lot of people coming through you know mm-hmm like that's yeah. not what all japan looks like in 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 japan it's it's very obvious places that were affected the most by the war because you look at somewhere mm-hmm. like Tokyo right where it just got like previous to World War II everything was made of wood like literally everything your school was made of wood your house was made of wood temples were made of wood right after that like after it got firebomb they just built everything in concrete like just stark gray concrete squares and everything is made of concrete so it just it definitely has that like it's it's like Asian aesthetics on like Eastern block vibes is how I would describe it, because it's just everything is is just the square concrete cubes now. Not so much like some of that stuff is being torn down and like being rebuilt in like less the depressing um, <laughs> aesthetics, but you definitely feel that in certain parts of Japan. But you're 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 right. James is like you leave tokyo and it's completely different you get things that weren't built in the the past 10 years also trying to maybe like catch people traveling like yeah and i think that um part of that is also like hey um you (laughs) there's new places in countries that are trying to become major powers they're going to focus on new technologies because those aren't markets that like there are major incumbents so it's not like oh look at japan they are all gonna be robots soon like i'm not sure like what the thought is but like it's just like you know (laughs) they're making video consoles because who they don't have to deal with the competition of like 
all of Michigan, you know, for like <laughs> that kind of thing. I mean, like it, it's you have to look at the way that Japan has succeeded in some of those mm. in those ways, because let me just let me just posit a question to you. Right. When you were growing up, because I think all of us grew up in the 90s, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. What brand was your television? It was probably a Sony. Yeah, Toshiba, Sony, something like that. Yep, yeah, I had a Hitachi. What did you actually watch on television as far as like cartoons and stuff? Because I realized this, at least in my, in my early 20s, and I thought about it for like a minute, and I'm like, I watched unknowingly more Japanese television than I did television from my own country. Because I'm like, I mean, I'm watching yeah. Dragon Ball, I'm watching Sailor Moon, I'm watching like all these animes that at the time I didn't even like make the logical connection that like, oh, these come from Japan. It was just like, this is what's on TV. So I'm thinking about it, I'm like, like, holy shit, like I watched way more programming from Japan than I ever thought about. And that's their like expansion of soft power. So I can understand mm-hmm. in some respects in Blade Runner where they show like, you know, they show like the Coca-Cola advertisement and it's got like the geisha on it. And you're like, huh, that's weird. But when you think about it, you're like, well, if they were like, you know, pushing out that soft power that like, that's not a crazy concept to be like, yeah, that could be real. I'm like, why not? Well, yeah, what that kind of touches in on one thing that I think that the movie does well is that a lot it's a lot about homogenization of all these different cultures. Like you said, oh, you have the geisha and the, she's holding a Coca-Cola. So a very Japanese symbol holding a very mm-hmm. American symbol, you know, and even in their language, there's that language they speak that is just kind of a mix of like English and I think Chinese and Hungarian and like six different languages. And it's kind of all about this kind of everyone's just all the people are just here in this kind of slummy world that is left and you're just seeing this kind of culture clash in a way that we are and you to your point have been seeing happen in, in America for the past 20 years or even longer and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing but it is something that the movie uh was commenting on that was happening at the time and is like ramped up even further in recent years and the more boring real version of that is that oh if you're in Canada and you buy a Coke, it's going to also have French on it. If you're in America, it's also going to have Spanish on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's kind of what happens. Like, yes, this all happened uh, in, like, a certain way, but... Yeah, and then, like, people, you know, they... It's like, you know, Spanglish is a thing, you know, how, like, which, you know, living in Southern California, as I do, that is something that, you know, I encounter in my everyday life, people speaking, you know, combination of English and Spanish. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's not quite as pronounced as it is in this movie as, you know, thankfully when 2019 happened, uh, you know, we weren't living in as much of a hellscape as depicted <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, there there wasn't fields of fields of industrial plants shooting flames into this guy. Yeah, it's just Vangelis wasn't just creepily <laughs> playing constantly. Silver loudspeakers, his vangelist plays yeah. on a 24 hour loop to crush your soul. We're just giant pyramids full of millionaires in them. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute, that's kind of happening. God damn it, Elon. The, so, have you all seen the sequel? Oh, yeah. I, yep. It's one of my favorite movies. I, and 
I'll say something maybe a little bit controversial. I do like the sequel a little bit better than this one. Not to say that I don't love this one, but the sequel is a masterpiece. I don't know if that's controversial because I also like the sequel more than the first one. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Really? Huh. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. That's good to one hear. One of us. One of us. One of us. I've only seen the sequel one time. I just like it. And hmm, maybe I like the sequel a lot. Like, what are you? I don't know if I could say I like it better than the first one. Fair enough. <laughs> I, it's, it's so weird to to actually say that because I, I remember when they first announced that they were going to make a sequel to this movie and I'm like why it's a masterpiece you'll never make anything as good as this movie it's going to be some like cash in garbage shash that just is a piece of shit and nobody likes it and Ridley Scott just did it for a text every day you were in the mirror when Dennis Vanelli yep. was, was like, like washing his face you son <laughs> of a bitch how dare you it's like painting eyebrows on the Mona Lisa you motherfucker uh-huh. And like I think um, it's just like very interesting in that movie how it does kind of shift a little bit to become like much more like our vision of the future. It's just like, oh, the like things don't look as cool. Things have been like much more homogenized in certain ways. Like and it's like, oh, like, let's have like square buildings and darker tones and mm. more normal apartments, normal light. And I love too in that one. It's just like I don't. I don't remember i don't i don't think i think it's probably the same way in the, this one too it's just like there's just like shit doesn't grow like there it's like novel that there's like a dead tree they're like what is this thing it's a tree in the second one right it's just so funny to me how like our vision of the future has gotten a little more like homogenized is what i mean but i don't mean it in a bad way for that movie because it is like trying to match certain things also like it can't reinvent the genre it's being a sequel to like 35 years later you know mm-hmm. my point was um that um it's very interesting um how these movies end up kind of becoming about like bodies too which is like what a lot of sci-fi is is like okay like this movie is full of just like a lot of old people a lot of people very dirty like there's like a lot of like little people in the background playing like car stealing criminals there's a lot of like oh like here's this snake and it's like oh this snake is like not real it's cloned and like what are the replicants like are they like meat are they like wires there's like a lot of just like making you think about well what is a body human or like not in this world you know mm-hmm. and like what what is a soul you know like yeah all that stuff is really because it's like you said it's not like oh these are just robots like how you know there was the robots that or like ash and alien like oh no these are like you're like making people and like what does that imply like what is it to have a soul what is it to be human like is and that is deckard like a human or replicant and what does it really matter like is rachel does rachel have a soul like batty seems like to be the at the beginning just kind of the you know this evil unstoppable force but he's the one who has the most poetic soul by the end of it and kind of has this like tragic end and it's really sad and beautiful at the same time so t- like a lot that's you know that's another great thing about speculative fiction and sci-fi is and it does it so well like the best parts of like this or any genre aren't just about the genre they're talking about other things there's a lot of like clear biblical like reference going on here there's a lot of just like um things from other times like there's like all the like toy stuff and like every time i forget 
how messed up JF Sebastian's apartment is and his like toys and his mm. like weird like motley jacket and everything. I was like, oh, this is cool as hell. <laughs> I mean, they they hit on that pretty hard in the movie too, because um I forget who asked Deckard. He's like, Oh, have you ever retired a person? And he just goes, Ah, no, never. But they never like you said, the, it, it's it's speculative, right? They never actually show you how a replicant is made or like what goes into that. So as far as you could tell, if if they never discussed that these people were replicants at all, it would just be Decker going around wasting people. And because you don't yeah. know, you're kind of like, well, you're killing them for for like very superficial reasons, because as far as you could tell, they're like indistinguishable from actual people. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And you have like that whole stuff with James Hong and the eyes and everything. And that that's all just very like the Philip K. Dick and the eyes thing is something that I feel like crops up in a lot of his adaptations. Like it shows up in Minority Report again. Um, so I love all of that symbolism. It's not stated, but you're definitely at least like in some part of your mind thinking about when you're seeing the world and like how shitty people live when you're seeing just like how dirty everything is like what people have access to like it's just like oh being made with four years to live isn't that different from just being bored at this world because it's like you are meant to die you are meant to not get to do what you want you are meant to like be crushed in a certain way you're like you're meant to be by this pillar that's like crumbling because so are you in this world, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you brought up J.F. Sebastian, and he, you know, because of that disease that he has, he also has a limited lifespan built in. And it's it's something that Ridley Scott touches on again when he has uh, in Prometheus, which I think is a very underrated movie, and he has this the guy, um, uh, Waylon, he's like, he's also l trying to find his creator so that his creator can give him more life and is just disappointed in that one as well and we all you know whether we are replicant or human or whatever we are all just kind of like looking for this unattainable thing of getting a little bit more life mm. and also like the whole movie is like in the background leave this planet this planet's dying why aren't you leaving <laughs> yeah and it's just like yeah it's like we it's, we should leave but like we can't afford to and it reminds me a lot of parasite in that way where it's like okay, yeah, like, we're doing shitty, we're on the shitty level, but then there's somebody even below us, there's a whole nother level, and you, you gotta try, and you think you can, get, like, get up to, there's, like, this anti-capitalistic kind of theme running through, it's like, oh, yeah, if you just work hard, then you can, like, get off the planet, but it's like, no, no one is ever gonna get off this this planet. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, um, that was another thing with, like, the cyberpunk video game, I was like, I don't know if you could make something cyberpunk without at least a hearty, uh, disdain for capitalism yeah yeah i mean <laughs> in that game there is um but that's mostly done through uh what's it called the the character of uh johnny who he is like 100 percent like fuck corporations fuck the man like just burn it all it's just um really interesting how um what we see of the corporations are just like hey like pretty common thing in like a lot of like media like this but there's like a certain kind of like very decadent like they've got their fake owl and like uh, the like main room that um that 
Tyrells and has wood. It has candles. It has like sheets. And we're like, oh, is that this is new to this world as far as we know? Right. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's almost to the point where it feels like benign when it, it wouldn't work if there wasn't the contrast with the outside. Right. Because like nothing he has is like necessarily extremely extravagant. But when compared to everything else just being abject, like a garbage fire, you're like, oh, like there's a tree. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or they're like, it's a real animal. And they like point out how incredibly rare it is for there just to be an actual living animal and not a replicant animal. And like a part of like the like fancy drink that Decker gets later is there's worms in it. Are they real worms? Or are they fake worms? Well, that's like a fancy drink you got like five worms isn't that nice isn't the <laughs> worth your buddy <laughs> don't drink the worm that's all i know but that's that's what i mean too like sorry sorry to cut you off james no go, go ahead. ahead um i think the the interesting thing about um the way that they portray specifically tyrell but later on other other corporations is like Oh, they're 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 doing stuff to help people and they seem like very benign again, like I said, but they're the ones who are who are literally just crushing everyone underfoot. But they on the outside as like a viewer, you kind of look at it and you don't see that part not necessarily. So you're like, well, like they're not they're not so bad. They're just doing what they need to do as a company. But I think like that's that's kind of like the the trap in cyberpunk where like the the company or the corporations always wants to be portrayed as like the good guys when realistically they're they're the you know the alpha and the omega of the problem it's so hard like not to look at just like what was happening in like a lot of like western society at that time too and just be like wow um people are like losing their jobs like companies are like massively consolidating like we're seeing more about pollution and just be like okay like this is like one of the like real concerns like like the biggest things like oh what if we get overtaken by another country but also what if we get overtaken by like not knowing how to like stand against what we've made and like when it becomes not us just like okay mm-hmm. what and it- does our culture become <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's so interesting because like right now we're in the midst of just like one of the biggest technological kind of advancements of all time. With we're just seeing AI progressing like week to week, almost day to day, with the insane way that it it can just like create these like images and voices and you know stories and all this stuff. It's becoming more and more complex and advanced, and it's it's like oh, this is this is crazy. And like also it's like immediately showing too, oh, it is not trustworthy. It is just like yeah. it's not smart, it's just vast. And it's like, oh, we don't know where it's being used, we don't know what model is being used, and it's like starting to reference itself. And I think like a lot of like quote unquote AI of I wish we hadn't given up on calling it that <laughs> when it's <laughs> not. But um it's yeah. like very much just like okay, like we had this like vision i i think like 15 years ago of like oh i'm going to be able to go on the internet and find or do anything and we made a bunch of improvements towards that but what we were really moving towards is making it all worse just 
turning our life into the ads under articles that are like, look at this weird, like kind of cartoony man. And he's got like weird lines on his face. And it's like, get your ears better. Like whatever weird ads when you don't have an ad blocker on like some random website for like health products. (laughs) That's just everything now. Yeah. And that's, that's something this movie really hits on is just like, yeah, the technology that is used that could be used to uh, do all these revolutionary things is just going to be used to line the pockets of its creators and to keep the working people down. Like these robots would like, Oh, what do we do when we invent a way to create people? We just make them slave labor. Like it it's, it's, and it's something that, you know, that they really hit on in the second one. But yeah, it's like they, these quote unquote villains in this movie, you realize how sympathetic they are because they are just the result of this awful, creation and it's just a way for humanity to bring back slavery in a way that seems morally acceptable right exactly have you both seen the wire or like know of it i i know i I need to watch it so um the guy who plays littlefinger in like game of thrones in like the last three seasons i think and um one of the big things is that he like is trying to become mayor to try and become senator. And like, he's at first petitioned very much like, okay, he's like a positive figure. He really does want to connect to certain people. And then it shows over time how he just kind of like completely is like, Oh, I can't deal with this issue until I'm in Senate. I can't talk to you right now because I have to deal with bigger and bigger things. Just kind of like technology isn't the problem. It's just kind of like, our systems and like the way people get like crushed is like okay like and like a lot of people feel with technology like oh wow i'm so glad that i've helped get this voice thing on my phone and i'm like so glad that i'm like worked to like support and make sure like alexa's here it's like okay and now it's going to keep annoying me and not be for me and then eventually maybe crush me because <laughs> yeah. it doesn't care you know yeah yeah man um the wire I have no way of covering that on this show. That is not. <laughs> there's no, there's no yeah, connective tissue there. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah. Um, and Blade Runner. Um, just we should talk about the characters and like a lot of like world stuff. Um, I really people say Harrison Ford hates to be in movies, but he liked to be in Blade Runner. And he liked to be in some in some Indiana Jones movies. I think. Yeah, he loves playing indie, and yeah, he. I think he had a really good time playing Deckard too, as long as he wasn't doing the the voiceover that the studio mandated. He clearly yeah. was not having fun with that, but he liked being the character the rest of the time. I'm pretty sure he's gone on record saying that like that was one of the dumbest decisions that they had ever done with that movie. He's like, this is fucking stupid. Cold fish. That's what my wife used to call me. Yeah, it's <laughs> fuck. It's awful. That like. And that was the one that version was the one I think that got like the most TV play as well. Like when whenever they played the yeah. movie. So like having that be your first exposure to this movie, I could understand where you're like, this is fucking off. Yeah, I because I remember like flipping channels. It was just like a couple of years ago at like my parents house or something. And like seeing I was like, oh, Blader is around. I'll watch a couple minutes of this. And it was like that version. I was like, why? It's <laughs> of like, all the ones you can pick. The def- yeah, we, of all the ones you could pick, we've had like the director's cut since the 90s. We've had the definitive version since 2007. 
Like the final cut, it's there in the title, final cut, and you're still going with the one that everyone hates. I wonder if that's just like whatever one they have licensed to play on television, so that's the one they play. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's so funny because like what that's doing is trying to like make the like noir aspects of like his character like this movie like hew closer to like the weird like home alone like parody noir like it's like oh like angels with 50 souls there's like trying to match this mm. weird and yeah that's not really <laughs> this is a noir in the way of let's have some real questionable consent in a sex scene <laughs> that's a, yeah that is the one scene you're like this did not age well i don't know about this like is ridley Scott trying to make this romantic i don't like this at all i like that scene but also definitely not uh i don't like that scene if that makes sense yeah i'm like okay because you're like is because i get deckard's supposed to suck like he's like a murderer right and so i guess he's also like kind of a rapist too but like the way they end with a romance you're like uh, yeah it's a bit much it's definitely like leaning into the like weird biblical stuff their romance i think mm-hmm. and that doesn't translate into like uh consent very well um <laughs> and that's something like comes up in like a lot of like mythic like storytelling i think mm-hmm. but uh, yeah um he sucks and like he's like an anti-hero not like he drinks too many beers sometimes and like he yells at the takeout driver like he's an anti-hero in that oh man he really uh, <laughs> kills some people and mm. says some things and has some racism some, some misogyny you know that's the thing like i always wonder what other people's reads are on deckard because he like i think a lot of people who go see a movie think that the main character is like yeah like the best character or like a good person Mm -hmm. and it's like no like deckard is fucking awful yeah there's this really great it's part of youtube or not youtube netflix did this video essay series called uh vor or voir and it's uh drew mcweeney does an episode and it's called but i don't have to like him and it's about unlikable protagonists and how a lot of times a lot of people will be like okay yeah you know i I don't agree with this movie because I the protagonist was awful. It's like, yeah, you're supposed to think he's awful. You're not supposed to like Michael Corleone. You're supposed to think Lawrence of Arabia is a dick. And it's the same thing with um, Blade Runner. It's like, yeah, Deckard is not a good person. And I mean, he's definitely very morally gray. And that the fact that Batty saves him at the end is is really interesting and important because it's like he would never do the same and it's just like it kind of sparks this realization in him to maybe not be such a piece of shit. Right. So I, it's it's really interesting from that angle. Yeah. Like he if if the roles were reversed at the end of the movie, he would have just dropped his ass off that building and been like, bye. <laughs> like to him, that would have been yeah. like ah, business is business. All right. Mm-hmm. And I think like a lot of the lightning to make him morally great happens just because of the lens we have like since he's like he's who we're following he's like right. like the protagonist if we think about what he's doing outside of the lens of oh he's harrison ford oh he's the protagonist he's not really a great guy he just like mm-hmm. kills people and gets drunk and tries to make booty calls and then he like assaults somebody and then he kills some more people well i mean that's the thing like the movie because we are following him the movie kind of um like not legitimizes what's the word I'm thinking of, but like 
like it moralizes to you or justifies why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. And if you kind of divorce yourself from the fact that you're following him as the main character, it's it's much more obvious and how just like slimy and just generally a mm-hmm. bad person he is where I think had it told the story from the perspective of multiple different characters, you would have a very different impression. Like if it had been like from Rutger Hauer's perspective on his character, right? You'd have been like, like these people are fucking psychopaths. Like they're sending a murder hit mm-hmm. squad man after me. Yeah. Just because I'm around. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do also love that he doesn't actually accomplish anything. Not really. He doesn't like change the world. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't make his life better, really, or learn anything much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like he doesn't save anyone who was going to. He doesn't save Terrell. He doesn't save J.S. Sebastian. The only thing he really does is, I guess he like runs off with Rachel. So, you know. That's you. You could say like maybe positive, but I don't think it's supposed to be. Uh, and then everybody that he kills was going to die uh, anyway. Anyway, so so it's like yeah, like he's, so he doesn't kill Batty at the end. Batty just runs out alive. So it's like oh yeah, these other guys were about to die at the climax anyway. So nothing he did really mattered. He's kind of a failure. And the people he wanted to kill also like let's just say they find there's no cure to death and they suddenly have the ability to hide and don't want to murder somebody maybe they go off and they like have like a murder spree or ever and it's like oh what? but maybe they just like don't do anything like half it like half of them seem like they just wanted to hang out and be alive but yeah. like maybe you know well, I mean, maybe Roy Batty is like I don't have that much time let me write some poetry right I mean I, you see the end you know s- scene of that movie and he's not, he doesn't seem like violent by nature, but it's, he's violent mm-hmm. due to circumstance, right? Yeah. Like he, and he's like, in his perspective, he's, he's rightfully angry when you find out who, who, the man who is basically God who made you is like, no, I intended for you to die in like four years. I could have made you live longer, but fuck you. Like, you'd be like, what the hell, man? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he's like he's like justifiably fucking angry. And from his perspective, he's like I I literally got fucked over by God. Like God screwed mm-hmm. me. I could have lived forever if I wanted to. Yeah. God wears glasses and he can't see my troubles. That's what happens to him. <laughs> yeah. Um and just of course like Roy Batty is like becomes like a lot of like the major like moments people remember from like this movie is him with like a like nail in his hand like Christ and like a mm-hmm. dove and like talking about cool shit like yeah <laughs> that's his villain he was he was gonna kill the person who killed his three friends after he killed the person who killed him like yeah y- you feel bad for JF Sebastian I guess but that's just, that's like a victim of like circumstance kind of yeah yeah exactly like it's like yeah that that's a bummer and then like uh what's his name um the the dumb guy who dies leon you're like he's kind of sucked but like other than that like you have a lot of sympathy for like the villains more than you do the heroes the last major character guess is rachel and rachel um man i feel 
I wish that Sean Young had been able to have a better career because she's incredible. Yeah. She's so good in this. Her hair and her shoulder pads, she just like looks like all kinds of shapes immediately. And she's just like she's dealing with a lot. She's just like, <laughs> okay. What and like that like moment where they're getting the um the Voight Comtefs and like it's like once you've like seen the movie like a few times, you're like, oh, they're both taking this test. But yeah. uh too. It's just like, mm-hmm. okay. She just plays this very strange role. She's like this weird angel, but a robot, but a person, but an innocent, but a like she's dealing with a lot of trauma at the same time, and she's a great job of it. The other thing I would say is that um I think this movie definitely um does have some just cool technology. Yeah. What's your all like favorite piece of like random technologies movie? I th- I like those like weird helicopters that kind of like go straight up or like they're like half car half cat. Like I don't even know how to describe them, but they're like what I forget what they call. They have some specific name from. Those are cool. The cars in like um Mass Effect like have those like vents too or whatever too. They're just like the same way. Even that Which, far future. By the way. I- tangent but like a lot of the t- cars and technology and stuff are is the same stuff that's like in alien and it there's a lot of things that make me believe that alien and blade runner happen in the same universe including terrell's pyramid being in prometheus but that's a whole other th- i thought that was i thought that was like a hundred percent confirmed that he said they take place in the same universe yeah he he like it's oh, there's really? some like there's yes. some like i don't know if he said it like he might have uh, I haven't heard it, but like, there's some like bonus feature too on the DVD where like, um, well, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Guy Pierce is like, oh yeah, he talks about his mentor like living in a pyramid and like it, it imploding in his face, like his creation imploding in his face, and that's why he builds robots instead of like people or something like that. Yes, and that also makes me believe that Legend, which is the Ridley Scott unicorn Tom Cruise movie is actually an extended dream sequence that Deckard is having. <laughs> what? I've heard <laughs> that one before. That's that's completely just something I made up, but well, I, I've always kind of believed that. Because if, if you could tie these two together, you could tie that one together too. The uh, it, It's like, in, especially in, um, I think, 2042, the sequel, it is very much... Um, like implied that they take place in the same uh same universe because like i forget it's like uh the the wayland utani uh company in alien and the tyrell corporation i forget where it is but they they're apparently like rival companies basically Mm. hmm okay because they both make like synthetic humans or whatever and from what I understand is that, like, the the explanation that I remember reading was that the Tyrell Corporation was retiring the replicants because the Wayland yutani Corporation had basically made a better version of synthetic humans. And them being in the same universe makes some kind of logical sense. And the, like, patents and the IP on that, like cool jizz blood probably <laughs> were really competitive <laughs> yeah i would think so but yeah it's 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 interesting 
Man, can you imagine just like, oh man, I escaped Earth and all these people getting killed and shot and oh man, maybe I'm a robot. I got two years to live. Anyway, <laughs> what's this weird hand? Oh, that's odd. I, it's like three hours later, it's next to me. Anyway, gotta make some food. <laughs> terrible world to live in. Yeah, yeah. I really like uh, the um, way he enhances the photo by like... Mm. 3d like mirror enhance 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 and for years that's become a thing and like just like i'm not sure where it started but like i know there's a ton of sci-fi places where they have that come in and then people on their phones now are like why can't i do this why isn't it like this (laughs) right please be more like blade runner (laughs) but yeah um overall though would you all say uh you like this movie? Yes, I would. <laughs> a very dumb question, I know. I like this movie with a caveat, though. Oh, really? Yes. I think I like basically everything about this movie except for, like, the first 40, 50 minutes. Hmm. Uh, really? It huh. I I love the setting. I love how it looks. I love all the effects that they do, just like the real lived in style of this movie. But I, I completely understand where someone looks at this movie and they can't get through the first 50 minutes and go, this movie is fucking slow because this movie is long and it is slow. Like it is. It is. It is. Yeah. 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 This is one of those movies I feel like. Uh, and I've heard this from other people too, and this is definitely my experience. Is like the first time you're like, I don't know if I love that, and then but you're like, ah, maybe I should watch it again, and you watch it again, and you're like, okay, this is growing, and you like the more you watch it, the more you're like, wow, this is this is kind of a masterpiece. Like I think it's one of those movies mm-hmm. that has a lot of depth. That is like you really kind of have to examine it uh, to really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think so as well. I it it it's a very specific type of movie. And I think that if you're not willing to kind of give it the time that it needs to be kind of in your brain, that you're not going to like it much. Like if you're just like, Oh, I should watch Blade Runner because everyone says it's great and whatever. Like you're going to hate Blade Runner. You're going to watch the movie and be like, what the hell was that? I guess it looks okay. Harrison Ford is cool like 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 that's what you're going to take away from this movie right Mm -hmm. where I think this movie is a lot more it's not like the most cerebral movie ever but you have to think about the themes of the movie for it to have it's the impact that it has had I think that's why when a lot of people talk about this movie or take inspiration from this movie is that it's it's mostly just cropping the aesthetic and not doing anything else from the, the narrative. Yeah. There's no weird, like taking the sins from like the, like flesh of man with the snake and cyberpunk. That's not happening (sighs) in a video game. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I mean, no. And I think like great media, that's just kind of a thing about it though. Like, um, a great bad thing is um, the movie The Room, and every time I've showed somebody it, they kind of don't get it, and then they love it if they see it like a second time or third time. They're like, 
holy shit, the logic, the like themes, the mm-hmm. art, and like that's just like it. Like sometimes you have to like, like experience something, and like you can't enjoy something the first time, like when it's that dense in weird ways. You're not just waiting for the good or the bad, but mm-hmm. it, it can be hard. But also, I'm an outlier because like my partner was at home, so I just like drank like a 12 pack and watched like Itsu Baba Tim. He had like huh. the bicycle thieves and I was like, yeah, this is awesome. So that's just me. It's... That's Blade Runner though. Um huh. <laughs> a movie that is really great. Um is worth the claim it has. It's super important culturally. Definitely can be hard to like we said to get into and there's just so much there it can be hard even to watch it as you watch most movies and be like Am I processing? Because like there's just every scene is there's just cool set design and costuming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, don't worry if you don't get it. <laughs> also, one of one of the best mm-hmm. movie posters ever. Like, goddamn, that movie poster is great. Twenty forty two or twenty forty nine, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to go back to that that hand painted style from you know, the seventies and eighties. Cause God, those, those style of movie posters are just freaking amazing. What's his name? Drew. Um, Oh my God. I could, I wish I could remember his name, but there was one guy drew something who like did all of those posters. And yes. like, he did like this and Raiders and like every just iconic eighties movie you can imagine. Star Wars, obviously, man, that's cool. Like just being that dude, Drew Struzan. Drew Struzan, yes. Okay. Drew Struzan. Cool, cool. Yeah, and just part of that too is like we've like started to be like, let's make things as real as possible and as photorealistic. Like, no, show me the weird running man poster. Like mm-hmm. the only cover to a movie that I think is better with photos than if it was painted is Austin Powers. That's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> why specifically that why specifically austin powers which austin powers the first one the first one uh because i searched guy who paid movie posters and images and the austin powers dvd cover was there and it wasn't <laughs> painted by this guy i don't know why <laughs> i mean drew struzan did all the uh the harry potter movie ones as well oh wow and you look at those and you're like i see it i i 100 mm-hmm, yeah. percent get it Oh, yeah. I think there should be more like mod punk or whatever Austin Powers is. I don't know. <laughs> well, because it's the thing is like uh, in that it, that was Austin Powers movies started coming out in like the late 90s, early 2000s. So it's, you know, about 30 years on from the 70s. So, you know, that's what we were nostalgic for. And now we're getting nostalgic for the 90s uh, and the early 2000s because we're about 30 years on from them now. So. But we're also progressively having less wealth so the songs is going to be a little bit <laughs> less focused on but no um i think that um a very good art um isn't just referencing itself or like its own genre and i think like something that happens in like a lot of like cyberpunk is it's just oh man cyberpunk is cool it's like yeah but like what about classical poetry like mm where's the other things like where's the like things you're connecting to and i think just having that one side you're connected to is like a good way to make something pretty lopsided and i think like that happens a lot with like cyberpunk where you're like oh i like cyberpunk but um i also want to talk about like modern sustainable community farming 
that's a cool cyberpunk story but but if you're like i like cyberpunk right what else are you connecting to a theme something else i think i think it's it's very much like you can't understand where cyberpunk is going without understanding where it came from i think the Mm the trying to understand the the point where your story takes place in cyberpunk is less important than where it's coming from and where it's going to because mm-hmm. if you don't have that connective tissue i think it's a lot of you fall on a lot of tropes and it ends up just being this absolute like neon mess right if you don't have mm-hmm. anything to 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 say about where you've come from it's a little bit hard to do you just kind of like okay the characters live in this world but like whatever you basically you know it's it's a theme park essentially right like you've you've slapped the cyberpunk paint scheme over today and been like look it's cool mm-hmm. yeah i was just say and this yeah. movie does some really cool things with genre and genre conventions not only with like sci-fi and genre and uh um cyberpunk but also with like the detective story Mm. By putting by and I I think that when you merge genres like this, there is a tendency to be like, oh, well, I like I like detective stories and like sci fi things. So I'm just going to smash them up and it'll be cool. And that's like kind of if you ever guys ever saw that movie Mute, that's what that movie is to a T. And like that movie is not great. It's kind of it's fine. It's whatever. It's not bad, but it's not really doing anything with the fact that it's combining detective stories and putting it in like a near future. It doesn't there's no reason for those two genres to be coexisting. But this is taking a lot of those old, very old tropes of like this grizzled antihero, you know, Humphrey Bogart kind of uh, detective and putting it by taking that kind of character and having him, you know, follow this plot that is very like he's following the clues and stuff like that. And having him existing in this world that is in the future and very grimy and stuff, it is kind of showing how outdated a lot of those ideas are and how mm-hmm. how you should see how ineffective he is and he ends up just getting like saved by Rachel and just screwing up left and right and like as we talked about ultimately being very ineffective so this is a masterful version of taking two different genres and smushing them together and taking important elements yeah. from each of them beyond just the aesthetics one of my favorite noir movies is Brick for that reason. Just sometimes you got to do something cool or like match to be cool or have a, a like reason to. And I think I, I actually need to see that funny story. Oh my God, they, really? Movie, they actually shot that movie at my high school on the weekends when I was going there because Ryan Johnson is from my hometown. And funnily enough, they had the world premiere of that movie at a theater that i would later work at in college uh that okay. doesn't it's closed now but uh, i don't think it even played at that theater but they had the world premiere there but i still haven't seen it yet <laughs> we must have talked about this before because i had major deja vu and if that happened to you twice that's... <laughs> oh man i'm sorry about repeating stories but <laughs> no it happens that if you've been on a podcast sometimes you're like oh man and then we hit the eggs like it's like it's a story time but no man you should watch Brick. I know. I need to. I need to. It's It's been on my list for a minute. I don't know if that's underrated, but I'll go talk about that movie. That's an incredible movie. <laughs> um, but no, um, not going to end as we usually do uh, with our uh, little baby. Um, 
there are some normal questions that um this podcast can end on but i guess um yeah top three characters it's not a good fit enough that we should maybe do it actually who are your top three f- favorite characters this time in what we watched everyone i guess i guess i could go first uh i mean probably rachel rachel's pretty cool um you know she's kind of the only person who or only one of like the main driving force characters who isn't the worst um you do feel very bad for her she is one of the more human characters, despite, you know, not being human, her finding out uh, that she's a replicant is, is very tragic and that she might also have this four year lifespan. Um, and then who else? I would say I just just maybe just because I like James Hong, like James Hong mm-hmm. is, is uh, pretty great as the kind of weird eyeball making dude. Uh, he's I just make eyes, you know, he, he's really cool. And then then probably Roy Batty. Roy Batty, like, yeah. and it's it's part of the reason is just such an iconic performance, and there's a lot of great performances in this, and it just shows like up until very recently how genre biased the Oscars have been. This got almost no recognition at the Oscars, um, I don't, or maybe I would have to look up. I don't know if they got any nominations, um, but yeah. art direction, I think. Okay, uh, well that makes sense. Yeah, technical awards below the line stuff. I guess it makes sense that it was yet, <laughs> um, because the Oscars whatever uh but uh uh but yeah he's he's so like i was saying he's so good at this that improvised famously improvised last speech that he gives is iconic and he's such a rich interesting flawed uh character that is just like this poetic beautiful soul Mm -hmm. david um this is bad question i know just it's like kind of fun it it is it, it is fun um I think I would put for me, I think I would put Deckard at three because he's he's an interesting kind of deconstruction of that that like noir character, right? Because typically in noir fiction, like the main character detective guy is like, you know, he's the good guy and he saves the lady and all this stuff. And it's like Deckard's just a piece of shit. But <laughs> but he's played so well as a piece of shit that I I'm kind of into it. Um, so he's, he's my number three. Cause like Harrison, Harrison Ford puts on like a great performance, uh, opposite Rutger mm-hmm. Hauer. Um, I think for me, my number two, he's not in the movie that long, but, um, Tyrell is, is another one. I just, I think his actor's quite good. And just the way that when he's confronted by, uh, Roy, and he's just kind of he's just so very not smug, but just like matter of matter of fact about it. He's like, you know, Roy is basically essentially meeting God. And he's like, well, you know, kind of sorry to disappoint you, but like, this is who it is. And, you know, I built you this way for a reason and it sucks to be you. He's just he's he's an, he's he's that perfect um, showcase of like how a mega corporation actually is. They're just so like distant and cut off and emotionless they're just the machine right they don't care they're just like eh, whatever like to me you're a thing and i think that's mm. i think that's pretty good um and then yeah i, I how can you not pick rucker as roy like yeah t- he's number one by a long shot like he he acts the shit out of this movie it's so good yes. like just that last scene alone is amazing like if you if if you just don't even watch the rest of the movie and you just someone gives you like a cliff notes and then you watch the end of the thing, it's still 
maybe doesn't quite have the exact same amount of impact, but it is still such just a the scene, the lighting, the the acting, the, and then the fact that you know afterward that the entire speech at the end was just ad libbed on the spot. Like fuck. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's Rucker Hour. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's hard to So I'll keep that number 1. Um number 2 is hard. Um I actually really like I like all the ways that um crap. Is it Pris is the one that does the dancing and like flipping and like the like makeup stuff. Yeah, the weird Harley Quinn shit. <laughs> yeah, the Daryl Hannah. Yeah. She does a lot of great little acting and like just She's really like she's doing a lot of lying to Sebastian, but also just like all of her like little moments of like being completely still, her like reaching in the egg. She does a lot of like good with like not a big role. And like every time like I see this like movie, I'm like, oh wow, you're like an incredibly important part of it. Like and like a lot of like great work for almost no lines. Um and my third, I guess, um, after those two is uh Probably Gaff, actually, because Edward James Obos is incredible. He, like, does not get very much, but I love just, like, how much he says with what he makes and, like, all those, like, and, like, we all know, like, the, like, he has that, like, unicorn at the end. It's like, oh, like, does he know what Decker dreams is kind of stuff mm-hmm. and what's going on? Like, is he, like, the one watching him? Uh, but no, um, it's just, like, a very strong role and, like, well played. Uh and yeah, any effects that uh we really like though between uh, this movie? Uh, I really like the practical effect of smushing that dude Terrell's head. Like, and it's that's one of the that's one of the differences actually in the extended or the final cut that's not in the director's cut. Um, and the same thing with the knife or the the nail through the hand is you just see his head really implode, and it looks good. Like, that is a very, very good effect. What's your favorite, David? Um, this is weird, but it's <laughs> the, the special effect. It's not necessarily a special effect. It's more of a prop than anything. But one of the things I love the most about this, because it, it gets shown a little bit, is Deckard's fucking gun. Yes. His gun is cool as fuck. And it sounds cool, too. Like, it when he fucking shoots people like you know they're dead as shit yeah yeah so i saw the second avatar movie very late and i like right before like i would like watch this and i was like okay what the what those movies have in common is that a lot of time was spent on like costuming and sets and like Mm -hmm. thought and care and like i think that like of movies that like are super cg heavy like the avatar movies stand out because they like clearly aren't just like trying to quickly or like massly like get over stuff there's like so, so much detail but in both of those things guns are like when you like hear a gunshot you're like oh holy shit like that's bad what's that get that yeah. out of here this, that's wrong yeah i mean ridley ridley scott is really good at guns like i mean you, mm-hmm. you listen to the fucking smart gun sound in alien like nothing sounds like the mm-hmm. smart gun from alien mm. it's just yeah. it's very it's such a very iconic sound and he does that in like almost all of his movies right mm-hmm. um but my effect though has to be the eye shine i love mm. the eye shine that's good it's so like 
it's mostly done through lighting, I think, and like it might still be in the sequel, but like just every time you see somebody's eyes go between shining and not shining, just really looks incredible. And it's like, it's just such a great little thing and it mm-hmm. looks so good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good choice. That's a, that's a really good choice. Yeah. Just a, so much going on in this movie, you know? I wonder how they did that. Like, would it be pain over? I don't know if it'd be pain over. Cause it looks like it looks like you know when you like um so the animals you can see in the dark and you always like you shine uh light in their eyes and it reflects off the back of their eyes because that's the way uh it worked like that that's how the their eyeballs work. I wonder how they did it. The filmmakers used a two way mirror, fifty percent transmission, fifty percent reflection, placed it in front of the camera's lens at a forty five degree angle. This is better known as the Schuftafen process. Invented by Fritz Lang from Metropolis. Huh. huh okay. So basically they huh. are doing the they're emulating nocturnal animal eyes by putting a transparent mirror in front of the lens. That makes sense. That's interesting. Which is cool as hell. Yeah. That was great. So, there there are definitely some old effects that, you know, people used to do in camera that look so awesome that they just don't do anymore. Right. Yeah. And it's also just like, why not just like I'm not saying only do everything how they could in 83, but sometimes just try to have a set or try to have like cool lights in the eyes. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) that's a thing, right? Because like stuff that's shot in camera is going to look better than anything you could have done in CG because it's a real effect. It's not trying to emulate reality. It is reality, right? Yeah. And like you brought it up um, on a like past episode. Um, I forget which episode, David. Probably the um, Garbage Pail Kids one where you said that Greaser Greg in camera did look a lot better than like a CG Greaser yeah, Greg. He w- yeah, like, okay, he's he's like <laughs> this ugly fucking, you know, goblin man. But if you made him in CG, I don't think it would look nearly as good. Like, it would just be like, yes, it's like weirdly uncanny, but mm, I don't know. Like, do everything realistically, in my opinion. If you can, do it. Because it it looks better than, you know, spending 50 billion years to get someone to pump it out of a render farm, right? The biggest product new IP toy in the world is fucking Grogu. Yeah. Because they used a puppet. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And if they hadn't used a puppet, nobody would care. Yeah. And you like get and when you have stuff like that, you get better performances out of your actors, too, you know? Like Pedro Pascal, just sticking with Star Wars, Pedro Pascal has talked about how he gets so emotional just acting against Grogu. And then in the same franchise, you've had Ewan McGregor like talk famously talking about how it was a nightmare walking around those green screens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have options, use them and use the best ones for your moment. And it's like, it's so weird because Grogu looks like a fucking puppet, right? Like Mm -hmm. he looks like a puppet. But I don't give a shit because he's like physically yeah. there in the scene and like moving like I I would kind of expect him to do. So it doesn't bother me nearly as much to where if like he was just this weird CG baby who had like all this perfect movement, it would look fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because it would be Pedro Pascal holding a green ball or whatever and then they've CG'd yeah. him in afterwards and it just looks weird. It's it's a combat like it's always best when you have some kind of combat like when CG isn't like 
the only tool, but it is just a tool and just the practical effects CG, just using using the best tool for the given situation and not using one or the other for everything. And also like um, things just like most things that like you could do in practical or CG aren't meant to look normal or like part of the scene. So it's okay if they like don't blend in. They're kind of not supposed to blend in, like make mm-hmm. your alien look like an alien, make them stand out. Yeah. Make them move yeah. a little weird. Yeah, definitely. Oh, but it's a strange viewpoint from the practical effects podcast to say that. But <laughs> no, uh, last but certainly not least, uh, the best fit we saw in this movie, our favorite outfit. Ooh, that's hard. I mean, for me, it's Deckard. Like, he's, he yeah. looks so cool. He's got that, like, ridiculously big collar and he's walking around and just, like, through the steam in it. It's obviously very reminiscent of uh, of the old detectives but it's got that cyberpunk look to it and you know that's that's i think that's why you know people miss they're like oh these aesthetics are so cool and they miss everything it's because it does legitimately look great and he really looks fucking awesome one cool thing that um in the movie like her they also do what happens with like deckard here where it's like oh sometimes the future is just gonna look is just going to look slightly different than like current like fashion it's like mm-hmm. oh like in like that movie there's lots of sweaters in this movie there's yeah. lots of just like cool trench coats yeah all right and you know the the thing is too uh i mean you you guys might know this but uh he was originally supposed to have like a very old-timey detective like you know hat like a, like like a fedora all, like, or whatever you know, exactly well, that would have sucked yeah but then indiana jones came out and really scott was like fuck i can't use the fedora anymore <laughs> that's fine yeah me replicant. <laughs> uh, what's your costume, uh, David? I think the best costume in this one is probably is is uh, uh what's her name? Uh, Fiora, whatever her name is. Yeah, Z- Zora. Zora is her name. Zora, the mm. lady with the fucking like see through. Yeah. Uh, like <laughs> tr- trench coat. It's like a, it's basically like a plastic trench coat or whatever, right? But mm-hmm. it is it is been used in other cyberpunk-esque like um properties like i've seen definitely seen that exact thing that like see-through clear plastic coat yeah it is very iconic and it's like hard to because like most of the most of those properties aren't like the weird underneath like mad max right. suit yeah, <laughs> yeah like yeah. whatever her hooker costume was <laughs> i might have to go with uh th- uh, the like jester jacket that JF Sebastian has on where it's like just it's super like grimy, but you can see there's like four different colors and he looks like this like children's character underneath it. It looks really cool. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And of course, just like the shoulder, like the way that Rachel looks, just like her hair and her, her older pads. Yeah, her hair. And I was going to mention mm, like, yeah, it's 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 kind of funny. Now that I'm looking at it, since since we've talked about like perception of characters in that, like Rachel, like physically looks the most like a fucking robot, but apparently she's the least robotic one. Like she just looks like someone who, you know, build my first robot type deal. Right. Like she's very like (laughs) prim and proper wearing a suit has like nicely groomed hair. And is very just like mm, like her her stature and the way she moves is very robotic as well. 
Yeah. And then when she finds out she's a robot, she becomes so much less. Like, she gets a little disheveled. Her hair is, like, mussed up. She doesn't have those, like, very sharp angles on her clothes right. anymore. And the way she goes through Deckard's apartment with, like, all these old pictures of, like, different, like, women. And it's just like, um, oh, like, what's this context here? Like, what's this piano? What's being done to, like, mm. if Deckard is a, like, replicant? what's being done to make him have that extra layer of like thinking he's not, but yeah, um, just really great work there, uh, from her. But, um, yeah, it is time though, uh, to like the mighty bear plug ourselves <laughs> and Derek, when, where people find you when you're uh, not talking about a blade runner. Yeah. So, uh, people can find me, uh, like you mentioned, I'm with, uh, uh, the uh, I'm the part of the Undercast Company. That's kind of the banner uh, of podcasts that me uh, and some of my friends do. Our flagship one, though, is called Underrated, and we talk about underrated and underappreciated films. Uh, we actually have talked about Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which just like this one, famously flopped. Um, but yeah, any as long as it's kind of a uh, movie that needs more attention, uh, you can find us there. So look up Underrated or Undercast Company. I do a couple other podcasts, including. My Marvel one, which you were on recently, uh, Infinity Stones and Dragon Bones, so that's a ton of fun. But so yeah, just look up Derek McDuff or Undercast Company, and you'll find all my podcasts. Yeah, that was fun talking about uh, that Ant Man. Yeah, that was good. That was good stuff. And David, how about uh, you? you can find me on my podcast at the Tokyo Fresh Podcast. Um, if you want to hear me talk about movies, I guess since that's the topic of the day, I do have another podcast. I haven't recorded. <laughs> an episode in probably a year but i mean the episodes that we have done are still up uh it's called the midnight film club if you want to take a look at that you can uh take a listen i think we got like 20 30 movies in i would definitely like to continue it but my co-host is just a busy man so we haven't uh got back to it that's how it goes sometimes <laughs> i think that you can also find david Every other week on Kamen That's Rider true movies. too. We hey, talk about you know, I... various shows. <laughs> yeah. You're like hey, nudge, nudge, hint, hint. You said plug yourself. Oh no, true. I will let you plug. No, yeah. Um, so you can find uh me on uh Twitter at James Forge. Um, on co-host uh at James D. The podcast at Common Ride with me on Twitter and at Common Ride on co-host. And of course, uh, it is a weekly show but has two different uh casts one is uh with me steph and david as we talk about sh such fun things as a uh, horny buddhist midnight comedy <laughs> action show shogeki goragon for another couple episodes uh that show t goes to places um i have to catch up those last five episodes and then watch the five next ones it's only three so it's fine oh okay it was only three. You only did three episodes. Oh uh, yeah, because it's like a third episode show, right. so it was like four, three, okay, three, okay. three. Then not that bad. Yeah, yeah, not quite as bad because it could be a long show sometimes, despite the. Uh, but yeah, um, and uh, go to a podcast at commonartme dot com to send in questions. There is commonartme dot com um for episodes, articles, uh, slash merch for links to our merch show with a uh, proceeds going to the Trevor Project. And then uh, slash episodes for links on different platforms. Please rate and review. And yeah, what did we learn today? Blade Runners, Cyberpunkers, Deckers. 
what do we get called in our tabletop game about this? Huh? Shadow Rudders. <laughs> we didn't, I, I, I thought about talking about Shadowrun because I love Shadowrun, but it doesn't quite fit the same aesthetic necessarily. <laughs> I put in um a droid from Star Wars called the Betty Droid, like based off of like Betty Page, because that also seems based off of like Rachel a little bit. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot going on in genres and space, and um, you don't get Coruscant in Star Wars without Blade Runner. It's true. Uh, <laughs> no you do not especially not yeah like the way they're flying around in episode two with like the flames and everything you're like yep i've seen this before and they like imply basically that oh these could happen on the same planet just up high is where we see most of the stuff on Coruscant, and down low is where we see most stuff in blade runner yeah but no um can be like lessons or takeaways from blade runner everyone I think if you're going to lift something, you should probably check a little bit more about what's underneath as well. Don't just take don't, don't just take the surface level stuff. L- look at it a little bit deeper. Uh, my lesson is God is kind of a dick is the lesson that I took away from Good this lesson. movie. It's an, Good overriding, lesson. it's an overriding theme, I think, in, in Ridley Scott's work. <laughs> or, as this movie shows, don't boil an egg if you can't catch it. <laughs>